How you doing, Emerge Church? You doing good today? Good to see everybody, man. It's good to be back with you for this, I don't even know, third or fourth time, I guess, we've been here. Just, you know, after you go two, three, four times, you just start to feel like it's family. You know, you start knowing people, meeting people, loving people, and we love Wade and Cynthia and their family, all of what they've meant to us over the years. And uh, just such good relationships, such good friendships. It's good to spend some time yesterday just renewing the uh, the friendship, catching up. And now Joey's here. Come on now, Joe. Joey's here. You might not, you might not have met him yet. He's a little quiet. He's a little introverted. But he's coming out of his shell. One of just just one of my best friends ever. Joey Evans, and so we're just so glad that he's here with your team now, working with your youth. We think it's going to be just an incredible blessing. If you've got students, you want to get them hooked up. He'll be, matter of fact, isn't if you have students, if you're just having a bad day yourself, you want to get hooked up with Joey, because he'll be your biggest encourager, your biggest cheerleader, and he's gonna, you're going to love him working with your students here, so we're glad for all that. We're glad to be here, and... Um, Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you so much for a new day in your house. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to your house, God, and just in fellowship with your people and praise and worship with your people and your presence and remind ourselves of your promises, God, in your house today. We're going to be different because we came to your house today, Father, and we thank you for meeting us here in Jesus' name. Everybody say one big amen. amen, amen. I was thinking a while back how... Over the course of our life, we make so many things. There's so many things that we, let me, I'll explain to you what I mean by that. We make so many things. In other words, like especially during this time of year, the summer, we're taking trips, we're going places. You know what we're really doing? We're trying to make memories, aren't we? We're trying to make some memories. Anybody make some memories this summer? Anybody make some things you like to forget this summer? And the trip, and in the car, and then with the sand, and... I know some of you probably went to amusement park to see the mouse, and some of you went to the mountains, and some of you have been camping and all over the place. But basically, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're going on a trip with our families, with our kids, to what? Make memories. We're making things. We're always making things. I mean, whether we like to admit it or not, even as adults sometimes, we make wrong decisions and we say the wrong things, we do the wrong things, and we make messes, don't we, even with our lives. Sometimes we just make messes. I mean, there ain't no mess like an adult mess. Can, can, isn't that true? <laughs> our kids make messes sometimes, but how I many you know sometimes we just don't outgrow the messes we make? We do the wrong things, we say the wrong things, we run around in hotel rooms, we knock on doors, and we, we, make, <laughs> we make messes. I mean, talk about making stuff. Stephanie and I, over the course of our life, we made a lot of babies, huh? We made a lot of kids. Made five of them rascals. Five of them. Anybody else in the five club here? Yes. That is awesome, man, to be in the five club. We made a lot. And here's the thing. We made five daughters, five wonderful daughters, and the oldest two of those are married now and are making that this past year... We've had our first two grandchildren born with another one on the way now. All girls. That's all girls. <laughs> None but girls. We make babies and we make girls and our girls make girls. Girls are us, man. That's what we do. <laughs> we make things, man. We make memories. We make messes sometimes. We make 
children. We make, you know, we spend a lot of our life making a living, don't we? I mean, so much of our time and energy and focus we spend on where I'm going to, what I'm going to work, what I'm going to do. We prepare for the career. We go to school and then we try to make a living. We spend how many hours if we broke it down in years of our life do we spend just locked in and focused. I want to make the best living, right? I want to make a, I want to make a living. I want to make the best living I can for my family, for my kids, for our future. We spend a lot of time in our life preparing and living out, making a living. But I want to talk to you about something else that we make, and that's making a difference. We go to school often to learn how to make a living. We get training for how to make a living. But where do we learn how to make a difference? Living a life where we connect with God and connect with His purposes find out what he wants us to do with our life where we can really live our life in such a way that we can look back on the other side of it. You know, it's one thing to look back on the other side of our life as we get towards the end of it and say, you know what, I, I, made, a good, I, I made some memories, you know, I made a few messes, I made a few kids, I, 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 made, I made a good living. But don't we want to get back and look back on the other side of our life towards the end and say, you know what, I made all that. But by God's grace and God's mercy and according to God's purpose, I made a difference in my life too. Don't you want to be able to look back when it's all said and done and not just say, I made a good living, but God, I heard you, I followed you, I stepped out in faith, God. I took some risks and I made a difference. That's how I want on the other side of my life. That's what I want it to, to feel like, to look like. God, did I make a difference? God, did I live a life that made a difference. We're going to learn some this morning about living a life that makes a difference by looking at part of the story of Gideon from the book of Judges. We'll be in Judges, mostly chapter 6. We're going to kind of use this segment, this section of Gideon's life, sort of as a template for what a life looks like for somebody that learned, somebody that didn't have a clue, somebody that was making no difference at all, that couldn't find their place, that was struggling, that was stuck, that was being defined kind of by his failures. But he got a hold of some things. He learned some things. He stepped out. He took some risks. And at, when it was all said and done, we look at Gideon's life and we say, man, that's a dude that made a difference. We're going to use his life, a segment of his life, we're going to start in Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 1 here, and we're going to look at a segment of the life of Gideon, a man who's learned to live a life that made a difference. It says in Judges 6 verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, in the caves, in the strongholds. Come on, the Midianites were like the bullies on the block. Come on. You ever remember when you were in elementary school, you ever faced a bully? I mean, they were like the school ground, the schoolyard bullies here. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. Stole them dudes lunch money, man. These were like the bullies in the, on the school ground. Left them with nothing to eat. Took their sheep, took their goats, took their cattle, took their donkeys. The Midianites were the bullies of this time period. Don't you really dislike a bully? Don't you really? And I'm choosing my words carefully here. 
But if you've ever been, if you ever, it, you know, it's an amazing thing. I can remember back like in the fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. Now, I can't hardly remember what I had for lunch yesterday. I just be honest with you. I can't hardly remember how to find my way home in the evening. But I'm telling you, I can remember back in the fifth and sixth grade, a bully. Any of you ever just got pushed around, shoved around, bullied a little bit when you was younger in elementary school? Maybe you was the bully. Maybe we need to talk after church, ma'am. <laughs> and I know you're all nice now, but I mean, back in the day, I really didn't like a bully. I remember in the fifth and sixth grade, we had this, like, merry band of nerds that I hung out with, okay? The nerd squad, okay? But we were, we were nerds, but we were happy nerds, and we had each other. And I can remember at recess one day in, a, in about the fifth grade, we were in the gym and we were just playing nerd basketball, man. Just doing, Probably couldn't even hardly reach the hoop, but we were together and we were having fun and it was recess. And I'll never forget this one day as we're, sh- we're, shooting, we're shooting basketball in the gym at recess and this bully comes up, comes out of nowhere, man. And he's, you know, in fifth grade, and this guy's like a seventh grader, right? So when you're a fifth grader, a seventh grader, this guy was like an adult to us. This guy looked like he failed about four times, you know, got a beard, probably works at Burger King after school. He's just like, you know, you're sitting there, and he just comes to us, and he just snatches the ball away from this merry band of nerds that I hung with. He just snatched the ball away and took it, and he went over here. And we're just kind of left standing there staring at each other. And what, and what do you do? And that begins to be the conversation. Well, well what, what, what do we do? And everybody, we kind of look at each other, and somebody says, well, nothing. We ain't doing nothing. Do you see the size of that guy? I mean, the dude's a seventh grader. The dude's got a beard. The dude shaves. Right, we ain't doing nothing. And I'm not usually the brave one at all, but sometimes, have you ever just had enough? You know what I'm talking about? Even as a fifth grader, sometimes you just, you just had enough, and you're not thinking right. I mean, you're not thinking right. You're not judging the weight right and the height right, and you're not judging anything right because you're emotional. And I was emotional that day, and I'm like, that's it, man. And I'm, looking, I'm getting the merry band of nerds together, and I'm like, dude, there's like five of us. There's one of him, and that's our ball. We're gonna. That's our. We're gonna get our ball back. Can you, can you? Are you with me? Can we go? And they're like, I, I guess so. Mate. You think we can do this? I know we can. We can take the guy. We can get our ball back. So I'm leading the the, the squadron of nerds. All right, and I'm like, Hey, hey, you gigantor. Hey, you. That's our ball, isn't it? That's our. And I looked around, and there was nobody. There was nobody. There was no merry band of nothing. They were like the Israelites. They ran to the caves and the holes of the ground and the rocks, and they were gone. It's just me and Gigantor, just me and this dude that's got to go punch in at Burger King in 30 minutes. <laughs> but I'm out there now, right? I'm out there. And so I'm like, hey, hey, that's our ball. And he threw the ball down. And he looked at me, and I knew I'd made the wrong decision at that point. I wanted to tell him, take the ball, keep the ball, it's your ball, you can have the ball. But it was too late. He started walking over to me. He towered over me. And I remember he picked me up off the ground. My little nerd feet were just, just, you know, just kind of kicking in the air. (laughs) 
he picked me up off the ground. And he, even being in a school, it just kind of gives me the, you know, being back in a school anywhere. <laughs> you don't have a gym in this school. Huh? <laughs> he picked me up off the ground and he slammed me against the wall. And he let me go and he dropped me like a 50-pound saggy bag of Cheerios that I was. Man, he just dropped me on the ground. And then he just turned and he walked away. And I remember I collected myself, I dusted my little nerd pants off, and, and then come crawling out of the holes, right? Here comes the merry band of nerds. I was like their nerd hero, though, at this point, you know? So it wasn't a totally bad day. And, and we walked over there, and, I, and I'm like, where did you guys go? Where did you guys go? And we did get our ball back. And I just remember that day, even though it wasn't usually my M.O. and how I acted, I just had enough of the bullies. And in this story where we pick this up, God had definitely had enough of the bullies. And God was ready to do something about these Midianites that were terrorizing his people. And typically, when God wants to do something, when he wants to move, when he wants to raise up a movement, when he wants to begin to affect and influence the lives of people, he has to raise somebody up to do it. A lot of times, it just starts with one person. And in this story, that one person is Gideon. God had had enough, so he wanted to have this one-on-one with Gideon about changing his outlook and changing his life and challenging to see if he would live a life that would make a difference. So Judges 6.11, this is how we pick back up with the story. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. You got to get this right. He's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Like a wine press is this huge, probably wooden, for lack of a better word, it's like a giant bucket, right? Just this huge, life-size giant bucket that they would typically put all the grapes in to smash the grapes, right? Crush the grapes to get the juice out to make the wine from. But he's so psyched out of his mind. He's so afraid. He's so scared. He's actually crawled over the wall and got into the wine press so that he could thresh his wheat because they kept coming and stealing it. So he's afraid. So he's actually hiding out in here. He's, at, he's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. He was simply afraid. He was hiding out because of the bullies. He didn't tired of them taking his lunch money. So the conversation begins in Judges 6, 12 through 15. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero. I mean, he's look, you got to get the picture. This angel, he's come on the scene. He's found this, this giant wooden wine press, and he's kind of looking over the edge of it right inside to where Gideon's out. He's in there hiding out, threshing his little wheat down there. And you got to get this angel's looking over. He's peering over the side, and he's like, hey, hey. He said, mighty hero. The Lord is with you. And Gideon's probably like, oh, great. I get the sarcastic angel with the jokes, right? Make the jokes. Go ahead. Make the, with the jokes. We all know what I'm doing here. I'm hiding out. <clears throat> I'm afraid. And yeah, no. So, so now you're going to peer over the top of it and just rub it in my face. Call me a hero. Great. I would get the sarcastic angel. 
Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? He just, Gideon's just going off. He said, we're tired of hiding. We're tired of being bullied. We're tired of being afraid. And God's supposed to be for us. Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord's abandoned us, handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him. The angel turns to him and said, Angel, act like you don't even hear him. Gideon's in there complaining. We're getting messed up, beat up, lunch money taken. I'm getting kicked. I'm getting sand kicked in my face every day. I'm hiding out. And and what's going on? Angel just says, go with the strength you have. Almost like that little gleam in the teeth. Ding, you know. (laughs) Angel acts like he's not even hearing him. Go, and Gideon's probably thinking, oh, great, sarcastic, and he's got a hearing problem on top of that. What kind of angel is this? Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Gideon's not through arguing with him. But, Lord, how can I rescue Israel? And he begins to build this case for how wimpy he really is. Just begins to build this massive case my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh all of us everything every last one of us are pathetic and I'm the most pathetic one I am the least in my entire family he's trying to convince the angel how wimpy he really is I told you I'm a weenie my father was a weenie my grandfather was Oscar Mayer himself Long line of wimps that I come from. So he's not really listening to the angel. The angel's not really listening to him. Judges 6.16, it's like the angel took some super positivity online course or something. The angel, the, the Lord said to him, I'll be with you. I just got through telling you I'm a weenie. Just got through telling you I'm a wimp. And he says, I'll be with you. You will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man now we got to understand the angels not he's not being sarcastic here he's not hard of hearing he's not dumb the angel has a plan to make Gideon a person of faith he's really strategic he really does look peering over looking over and he really does have a plan to begin to make Gideon a person of faith, a person whose life will make a difference and be an influence. But that plan begins not with changing what's around Gideon, but with changing what's inside Gideon. That's why they're having this conversation. It was very purposeful. It was very strategic because he had to change the way that Gideon looked at himself. And if we're going to begin to be People of faith, men and women and students of faith that live our life to make a difference. It's not going to begin with what's around us. God's not going to begin just to sort things out around us. But he will absolutely begin to sort things out inside of us. And it will begin with how we view ourselves. That's where it started with Gideon. That's where it's going to start with us. To live a life that makes a difference, you must, number one, believe what God says about you more than what you believe about you. That's the absolute starting point. We're going to have to grab a hold and believe what God says about us more than what we think or say about 
I'm telling you, God sees things in you that you don't even know, see, or understand yet. It's in there. God saw things in Gideon that Gideon couldn't even imagine or understand. He thought, surely this angel is joking. Surely this is some kind of mistake. Surely you've come to the wrong wine press here. You've got the wrong person at the wrong place at the wrong time. But God knew exactly what he was doing. That's where it all starts. A life of faith, a life of making a difference. Gideon said, I'm afraid everybody in my family has been afraid. If we're not careful, those kinds of thoughts can define us and we can get stuck in them forever for the rest of our life. This is who I am. This is all I've ever been. This is all my family has ever done. This is as far as we've ever gone. And this is what my life is. And if we're not careful, we'll get stuck right there. God sees so much more in you this morning than you even see in yourself. Years ago, we had a service at at the church, and I was a youth pastor at the time. And we were just starting out raising all those kids, all those girls. They They were young and they were little, and we would pile them up to go to church and then get them home. And I'm just going to tell you, that was a point in my life that I didn't really feel really good about myself. I'm raising five girls, and I'm finding myself running out of patience. I find myself under a lot of stress. I find myself so short at home. My attitudes, my words, the way that I spoke, the way that I acted, I felt so horrible about what I was doing at home and how I was responding to this challenge of the family that we had. I felt like a hypocrite because here I am, a pastor on staff. I'm supposed to be demonstrating to people how to live, but yet in the shadows, in the secret of my own home, I'm not acting like I know I want to act. And so I walk into this service this one night, and that's what my life, that's what I feel like. That's what's inside of me. I feel guilty. I don't like myself. I don't like, and I'm beginning to to define myself as, dude, you're just really a loser at this whole family thing. You just don't get it. You're just not growing. You're not responding right. So I walk in church, you may not see anything on the outside, but that's what's on the inside, right? And so there's a guy that's ministering there that night, and he ministered, and he spoke, and he preached. But at the end, he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to go deeper in ministry. In other words, he wanted to pray for some of us. He wanted to speak some encouraging words. He wanted to do a little prophesying over some people. And so I'll never forget, he came off the stage, he, he's walking down. Uh, 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 in in the aisles and and he's beginning to minister to people and one of the first people he looked at I mean when he first got one of the first people he looked at was me and I'm like got my head down I don't want nobody I'm, I'm like trying to dig a hole I'm like and he looked at me and he came to me and he said these words he said I've been watching you since you came in the building this evening and I'm like oh God here we go this is where it all blows up. Swear it all falls apart. It's been a good run. I've had a good run. I just couldn't handle the kid thing. Here he goes. He's going to just tell everybody, everybody, just go. I wanted to give him money to shut up. If I slip you this 20, me and you, we good? <laughs> you know? But he stepped up there. And so I assume, well, you know what I'm talking about. I assume the traditional charismatic position you got to stand there with your hands up right and your eyes closed and you got to sway a little bit because if I'm going down I'm going down looking good 
Yes, Lord. Oh, God. So he starts ministering to me, right? He starts, he starts speaking to me. And this is the words that come out of his mouth. He said, there is so much love inside of you. And I'm sitting there, right, in the position, hands up, swaying. And inside I'm going, I got like the dumb angel. He says, there's so much love. He said, I can't believe how much love just comes out of you to the people around you. And and so I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm going to survive this. He goes further, he said, and just spreads to everybody. He said, matter of fact, you're so sweet when you get around people. You make your teeth hurt. You're just so sweet. And I'm thinking to myself, I have survived another one. (laughs) I have dodged a bullet. Now we have another problem because this man is a false prophet. But hey, who are we to judge? Who are we to judge each other? Right? Who we judge? Do your thing, man. Love sweet stuff. Say that. But I walked away from that confused. Wouldn't you be? Because that's not how I saw myself at all. I had a little conversation with God. I'm like, God, what's, you got to explain this to me because I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I think that dude missed it. Appreciate you covering me. But I think this dude missed it. And I I did not hear audibly, but I felt just, you know how God just begins to speak something to you? You just feel impressed. This is what he's saying. This is how he's explaining it to me and to my heart and to my life. And as God began to explain that to me, I just began to, Feel like God said, Greg, he didn't miss it. And yeah, I see your struggles. I know what you're going through. But I also see what I have created you to be. And if I am going to get you and take you to where I intend for you to go and what I created you to be, I need you to see that picture of that man that I've created you to be. He said, if all you ever focus on is your flaws, that's all you'll ever have. But God said, if you can begin to see what I see about yourself, you'll begin to walk that direction. Now, do you want to stay stuck or do you want to walk that direction? And it made perfect sense. And that's what God was doing right here with Gideon. And today, if we're be honest, it's very easy to look at our past flaws and our past weaknesses and begin to miss completely what God's trying to say about us and what he sees about us. God sees in you the person he's created you to be. And he's not holding your past over you today. And he's not beating you up with your present either. He's just saying, if you could see what I see, you would walk joyfully with faith-filled life into your future. Because we look at ourselves sometimes and we say, just like Gideon, I'm afraid. But God says, yeah, but I see courage in you. You say, I've got issues. And God says, yeah, but I see you overcoming them. 
We say, I see myself as a loser. And God says, I created you to be more than a conqueror. God says, just stop a minute and see what I see. If we're going to live a life that makes a difference, it starts by believing what God says about you more than what you believe about you. Here's the second thing. Judges 6, 33 and 34. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. This doesn't sound like that guy hiding out anymore, does it? He's beginning to make some different decisions. As a call to arms and the men of the clan of Abiezar came to him. Gideon knew this. Okay, God, I see myself as this, but you see me as a hero, as a champion, as a warrior, as a person that could make a difference. So Gideon knew if I'm going to be a warrior, at some point i got to start making warrior decisions, even if I don't feel like a warrior. So that's what he started doing. Here's point number two. To live a life that makes a difference, we have to begin to take faith steps forward. At some point, we've got to get up out of our comfort zone. Okay, God, I see myself like this, but you see me as doing this, living a life that makes a difference. So at some point, we got to say, even though I feel like this, I may look like this now, I may see myself like this now, you've called me to be this. So by faith, I'm going to start taking steps toward what you've called me to be, even if I don't see it yet. At some point, we've got to come out of our comfort zone. We've got to take a faith risk. We simply can't play it safe all the time and live a life of faith, right? We just can't. We can't play it safe all the time and become people who live a life of making a difference. Years ago, I remember my wife and I took a 20th anniversary trip and we had some friends in Hawaii. They were living in Hawaii. He was in the military. He was serving, he was actually a military lawyer in Hawaii. They were living there, and they said, hey, if y'all want to come over, hey, if you just want to get your ticket and fly over, you can stay with us. You can stay here. You can use our car. We'll show you where to go. You can have it. And we're like, man, I'm in. So we went, and while we were over there, one of the things we did was some of us guys, three or four of us guys, we were were on this beach in Hawaii, and there was this little rock formation island just a little ways away from the beach. We all loaded up on a kayak. We kayaked over there. We got out. We're walking around this island. We're looking at it. We're climbing. Because in Hawaii, it's a lot of rock formations, right, from volcanic activity. So it's jagged, and it's rugged, and it's we're climbing up. We're climbing down. We're walking around. And we climbed to, to this one area, and we walked out. And to go any further, it was sort of a cliff-like thing. And I'm scared to death of heights. So it might have, I don't even know, 15, 20 feet felt like 50 to me, right? Felt like 100 to me. Felt like 50. Felt like I needed a parachute if I'm going to go. Right? Felt like something bigger, better than that. Felt like something I said, we've made a wrong turn. We need to go back this way. And the next thing I know, this guy, my friend's son, he's about 16 years old, He just bails off of the edge of that sucker, just jumps off and lands in the water below, the little pool below, splat, you know, goes under, bobs back up, and he's waving at us. And he's like, who's next? And I look at my friend. I said, dude, you're not going to jump off of here, are you? And he says, dude, aren't you? And I'm like, I haven't even considered it until this point. I didn't even know what what you brought me out here to do. You lied to me. I've got kids at home. 
And the water, it was like a pool of water, and the water would rush in, right, and get fuller, and then it would rush out, and it would rush in. And so the 16-year-old's down there, you know, reveling in his hero-ness and his warrior-like, as only a 16-year-old could, rubbing it in our face. And so he's bobbing down there, and he looks at me, he says, you're next. And I'm looking at it, and, and he says, the water comes in. When it comes in, jump. It'll go out, and it'll come in. And I'm thinking to myself, are we really going to do this? And so I'm like, I don't want to be the only. So I'm like, okay, we're going to. Apparently, we're going to do something new today. <laughs> the water would come in, right? And I'd see it. It'd come in. And I'm like, no. And it'd go out. And it'd come back in. I'm like, not now. And it'd go back out. I don't even know what it's going to take. Somebody pushing me. But he knew it was going to take, you know, the water. Finally, it came in. That 16-year-old looked up at me, and he screamed. He said, jump now. And I just bailed off, (laughs) trusting the word of a 16-year-old who had nothing to live for, you know. (laughs) And I remember hitting that water and going under and then coming back up and realizing that I'd lived. And it was the most terrifying and exhilarating experience of my life, all wrapped into one. And I realized sometimes you just need some encouragement to get out of your comfort zone and just take a leap of faith. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes. And that's what it feels like spiritually. I've come to realize it feels a lot like that. When God is saying, listen. I want you to move from Gonzales, Louisiana, in the comfort of your home and your friends. I want you to move to Tallahassee and get an apartment. You know what I'm saying, Joey? Yeah, I it feels like, like that sometime when, you've got, when God says, this is the next step I want you to make. And you don't see a ledge. You don't see anything comforting. You don't see anything familiar. But God is saying, this is what I want you to do. If we're going to be people that live a life where we make A difference. There's going to be times and places and opportunities where God is going to say, okay, if you want, if you're serious about it, this is the step. This is the next step. And I know you can't see the bottom and I know you don't have all the blanks filled in, but this is the next step. I want to ask you a question this morning as we're starting to bring this thing down. How long has it been since you came out of your comfort zone as a believer? The things and the places that you're familiar with. How long has it been since your last leap of faith? Something that really got your spiritual heart pumping and racing. Caused questions in your mind. How am I going to do this? What will it look like? What will it feel like? What will my life be like? What is God asking you to do in your life presently? What is he asking you to do? What, In other words, what ledge are you standing right out looking over and maybe you've backed away from it like I did several times I saw they're going to be water baptizing August 18th I wonder how many times some of you have stepped right up to that edge right and you look and you wonder and you think can I should I is this my next step should I go public and God and even today as I'm talking about it your heart just started beating just a little bit faster Because that's what God's calling you to. That's your next step. Maybe God's calling you to have this relationship with this person. 
that you know at work or school or wherever it's at that really their life is broken and they need Christ and God kind of puts you in situations where you just kind of feel you think maybe but then you don't know what it'll cost you maybe that's your next step God says I really want you to spend some time and influence this person how about a leap of faith to be a part of a small group or even lead a small group A leap of faith to open up to somebody, anybody, just one person about some of the things that you're going through in life. Some of the hurts, some of the habits, some of the hang-ups. You may feel like they have you stuck and it may be embarrassing to you and you may not want to share it with anybody so you're suffering in silence. But God's taking you right up to the edge and said, if you just talk to one person about it, one believer about it, The Bible says that when we confess our faults to each other, just that one trusting person, the Bible says he'll not only forgive us, but he'll heal us. And that's not physically. That's talking about an emotional, mental, spiritual healing. And maybe you've walked right up to that edge. I'm going to talk to somebody. And then you've backed off because you think I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be, you just don't know. But I'm telling you today, that's some of you today. You don't need to tell everybody. You just need to tell somebody. There may just be one person that God will connect you with. And that will be taking that step of faith. That will free you up to begin to walk and live in that life that makes a difference. Gideon did. God came through in a huge, huge way for Gideon. He became that warrior. He began to live that life. People began to follow him. People began to look to him. But he started in such a small, seemingly insignificant way. But one step at a time, he just began to make decisions of faith. Begin to walk and live and become that life that makes a difference. Why don't you bow your heads, please? We're going to bring this to a close. If you're here this morning as we wrap it up. And you're evaluating where you stand in this story. What side of this story you're on. And maybe that leap of faith to you today. Maybe you're standing right on the edge today. And what you're looking at over that edge is a leap right into a relationship and a connection with God through Jesus. Maybe you've been through some things in life. Maybe you used to serve God. Maybe you used to have that connection. Things happen. Life happened. Decisions happen, whatever. And you backed away. But this morning, God's calling you back. Good news for you. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace. It is waiting for you just to say yes. Take that step of faith. Maybe you've never made that decision before. But regardless of which side of that you're on, you're just saying, you know, today my my main decision needs to be God I need to get connected totally and properly with you if that's you I'm not going to embarrass you not going to point you out not going to call you down just want to see who I'm praying for slip your hand up real quick and then put your hand right back down got you got you covered got you covered I see your hand too see your hand also incredible awesome thank you thank you this is what we're going to do man we're going to I'm going to lead you in a prayer we're going to pray together We got you back right from the start here at Emerge Church. We're not going to embarrass you, but this is a step of faith. This is not a prayer of feeling. It's a prayer of faith. 
It's like stepping up to that edge, spiritually speaking, and just stepping right off into God's mercy and goodness and saying, God, I don't even know how this life, how I'm going to live it, what it's going to look like. But God, if you'll fill in the blanks for me, I'll live for you. And we're going to pray it all together. Let's just pray it all together. Pray right after me. Say, Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for calling me today. So I give you my heart. I give you my life. Change me. Grow me. And by your mercy and by your grace, I'll live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, say one big amen. Come on, give God a hand clap. Celebrate that.